Ah, dear. And it, you know, it's, uh, it's also funny that, that you mentioned intro music in your email this morning. Yes, yeah. So I yeah. thought it was funny, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to try out a new format. You're the first, you're the guinea pig. Okay. I'm going to try out a new format this week, because we've, we've got some intro music. Oh, good. Well, it's not, it's not cheesy. Sounds like it's off an Apple ad, does it? I'm not going to tell you what it is. All oh, right, okay. Well, knowing, <laughs> knowing you, I think, you know, you've got good taste in music, so uh, hopefully it should be good. I think a lot of people would disagree. So we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do an intro because I haven't done an intro for ages. So, okay. This is episode 69 of Unfinished Business brought to you by Shopify and Logical's PHP for Designers Workshop. And this week I'm joined by designer and artist Brendan Dawes. Hello, Andy. How are you? And then what I do is I insert the theme tune. Fabulous. Anything I wanted in there, and you're not going to know what it is. No. I thought maybe some books fizz. <laughs> Making your mind up. <laughs> well, we just had Eurovision last week, so, you know, kind of appropriate. I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> maybe some Motorhead. Oh, Motorhead. Ace of Spades is an amazing record. Wow. Um, yeah. So anyth- anything like that, ACDC, uh, theme from the Banana Splits is a great tune. No, 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 no. Who, that was by somebody. That was a proper record before it was the Banana Splits, wasn't it? Well, I think it came out l- later because the Dickies did it. It was, did a punk version. Is it, or is, are you thinking of the original? I thought there was an original before right. the Banana Splits, maybe but was, maybe yeah. there wasn't. Don't Who knows? I can't remember. Lost in the mist of time, that one. I used to like the Banana Splits a lot. Uh, I, th- I thought the Banana Splits was, I mean, I, I grew up with that. Because I was always fascinated with American TV, weirdly, rather than British TV, because it was, it was kind of like exotic. And the Banana Splits, I think, looking at it now, I think a load of writers took a lot of drugs and, <laughs> um, and then came up with this crazy TV show, because you watch it now. And then there's, there's a bit where the Sour Grape Girls come in, and it's just weird. You know, so those kind of things. Yeah, I, I love the Banana Splits. Fantastic show. I can remember before there was, this is going back in the midst of time, but before there was Swap Shop and Tiz Was and that kind of children's telly on a Saturday morning thing, you know, where it's like they took over the entire morning for children's telly on a Saturday on BBC One. Yeah. They used to have a show where they, I mean, it was just basically like a load of clips all joined together and the banana splits was part of that yeah yeah and then there was also i think there was a cartoon it was ali barber and the 40 thieves or something like yeah ali barber and the 40 feet 40 thieves and um what was the um kazam kabar that's the one yeah and uh, that's the one size of an elephant size of an elephant which was actually the name of one of my records when i had a a music career weirdly was it because of that yeah absolutely size of an elephant because it was an ep and I sort of bolded out the E and the P. It was, Andy, it was genius. So, <laughs> You see, that's why I like design. Is that's, 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 your work is done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was the pinnacle of your career in 1979. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was it. I should have just given up then. I just, um, you could have rested on your laurels. Yeah. No, I used to like children's telly, you know, there was something magical about telly at that point. I was reminded the other day, and Lord knows what brought this to mind, but I think we ought to introduce part of it on the show. I can remember when I was a kid, bearing mm. in mind that I'm nearly 49, so, you know, it was you know good kind of 40 years ago. And when you used to be ill off school, and my mum used to go to work, so, you know, often she'd be like, oh, you're really poorly, and then she'd leave me in bed and bugger off to work for the day. <laughs> and, you know, we had a telly, but it wasn't when there was, there was no daytime TV. No. There was nothing that, you know, there wasn't Lorraine boring the pants off everybody for like an entire morning. It was like the test card. Yeah. And then every now and again, there'd be, particularly when it got to lunchtime, there'd be women's shows. Because presumably they were the only ones that were at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a a TV program called House Party. You don't remember this, do you? 
house party. No, I don't remember oh, that one. Man, it was it was amazing. I'm going to have to dig this up because I was just reminded of it when I was in the car the other day. Lord knows why it came to mind. And it it was this really fake front room where these women sat around doing things that women did at the time, presumably crocheting and uh and baking and people would would stop by this was the brilliant thing so they'd be in the middle of a conversation about cupcake decoration or something and then it would bing bong and this woman would go oh i wonder who's at the door of my jury shall we go look <laughs> and then oh it's morag come in morag <laughs> and then in would come this other woman and they'd sit down and they'd like pour a cup of tea and so what's been going on with you today and this was the this was the quality of television that I grew up with, and it was a guilty pleasure. Yeah, yeah, I used to quite like being off school sometimes, just in case you could catch a bit of house party. Yeah, isn't house party basically this show? Except it's not visual. <laughs> it's or maybe it's the natural extension. It's the spin-off of this show. Maybe that's what we need show. to do. We need to introduce yeah. uh, like a doorbell sound. Yeah, exactly. Ding dong, and people just drop in. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Hello, Brendan. <laughs> what have you been doing this week? Tell me the other show I really liked. And I actually looked it up on YouTube the other week, and I couldn't believe how bad it was, The Tomorrow People. Oh, no, that was bad. Yeah, because... And then when I actually did some research on it, and it was that was quite trippy, and it actually upset a lot of people because it was very psychological, apparently. I didn't realise at the time because I was a kid. But I thought it was amazing, and now when I watch it on YouTube... I was watching these clips. I thought, oh, my God, was it that bad? Yeah, but there was a show, and I and it was a kiddie. It was a children's TV show, and I, I should bloody remember the title because I watched it on YouTube not that long ago. And it, man, it used to freak me out when I was a kid. It was a one series where all of a sudden machines stopped working. And people started to turn on machines and, you know, there'd be a car and said, you know, a bunch of blokes knocking seven bells out of it. And it's like, oh my God, there's a machine. It was an awful thing. Like people had been turned against (laughs) the machines, except this like little kid and her brother who traveled the country getting into adventures until they finally figured out that believe it or not, it was King Arthur that was behind people hating on machines. Oh, yeah. I hate it when he does that. So it's well it's well known that King Arthur didn't like machines. Yeah, well, apparently somebody had woken him up under Glastonbury and he'd got a bit fed up with the noise, apparently, of, of a pneumatic drill. And and this was the premise of the show. I need to look it up again. I'm it sure was, you've dreamt that, you know. It was, was No, you can't make that stuff up. <laughs> Listen, I had a dream the other night where I was uh, in David Byrne's house and he gave me one of his uh, dressing gowns, which was nice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you can't really say much about that. N- not really. Does he, is he still making music? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's, I think he's, he did some stuff with Brian Eno. Um, and he's, you know, he's done a few solo tours and yeah, I think he's just an enigma now because I was at, um, you know, Hillman Curtis, mm-hmm. uh, sadly departed Hillman Curtis. I was at his, um, memorial in New York and, um, there was like, Lots of people there. And David Byrne was there. And he didn't really speak to anyone. Um, he just sort of wandered around. I think he floated pretty much. Yeah. It's kind of a strange guy. Mm. But interesting, you know, so. We could have a bit of Eno as our theme music, perhaps. Yeah, that would be good. That'd Except be that I really, I really don't care for him. Um, mm. no, it's because I like David Bowie. And then I listened to, I, d- I did the Bowie thon not too long ago. Yeah where I listen to every David Bowie album from the beginning. Right. And then you get to the sort of Berlin period with Eno, and you just want to slit your wrists. <laughs> I mean, I know as an artist and as a designer, you know, you're probably supposed to like that stuff, but, oh, God, it's boring. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't pretend. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Slap on a bit of books, Fizz. What about Dr. Up. Dre? We could, but do, we could have a bit of Dr. Dre as our theme yeah. music. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, make us a bit more hip. That would yeah, um, streets. <laughs> that, that would turn off quite a lot of listeners in America. I think actually we might lose an entire demographic. <laughs> well, yeah, his music's better than his headphones, though. So you know. Well, I do. I want to talk about headphones in a minute because okay. you know we're, we're we're dead topical on this show. Obviously, it's being a topical news show, mm. as everybody recognises it. <laughs> yeah, of course. In the news is it's rumoured that Apple are 
planning on buying mm. Beats headphones for $3.2 billion. Mm. Which, I mean, I knew they were expensive, but I didn't realise they were that much. <laughs> yeah. That's a special edition. <laughs> you said earlier, what, you said you've got a pair of pink headphones. Are they Beats? No, they're not Beats. I, you know, they're just some indiscriminate make that I use for the odd podcast every now and again. Because I'm not really a headphones wearer. I never have been. Um, when I worked at, you know, agencies and, you know, the company that I used to work for, um, you know, there'd be 30 people and a lot of them would wear their headphones, particularly, you know, designers and programmers. Um, I hated it because I, I like to know what's going on. Mm. So, and I feel like, and I, I get the idea that, you know, you can really focus and, but yeah, I, I've never been a headphone wearer. I have like, Earphones that obviously use me with my iPhone and stuff, but uh, I used to have quite an expensive pair, and I managed to make them last for two years, and then eventually they just break. So now I've bought a ten-pound pair of, I think it's Creative Labs. They sound just as good as a two hundred and fifty quid pair. Swear to God. So I thought, fine, you know, ten quid. They just always break. I mean, I've got a pair of. I think, yeah, there were like 10 quid Sonys that I bought in Staples. Mm. And they're the ones that I take to bed when I want to go and listen to a podcast in bed right. and not yeah. disturb anybody. You know, I can't wear, you can't wear a pair of Beats in bed. No. I mean, like, you know, you knock, knock whoever you're with out of the side. Yeah. Do you, what, do you have the Beats? No, oh. no. I've got Bowers and Wilkins. Yeah. Nice. Um, and yeah, they are lovely. They're a bit heavy on your ears. But mm. the nice thing is with, with these particular over earphones is that they've got a replaceable cable. Cause it's always that stupid cable that goes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, that's it's a the, good idea. The one thing that always goes with mm. headphones is, ah, oh, you get, you lose the left channel. In fact, I had a pair of these and they're like 250 quid. Mm. And within a week, they had once one channel had gone. Yeah. And they just replaced the cable, which was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a nice way to do it actually. Yeah. That's what happened with mine. The, one of the channels went, and I think I cut it apart and rewired it and made it last another six months. But oh, God, you're such a tinkerer. I know. <laughs> a demon with a soldering iron. It wasn't really. It wasn't so much that. It was like, I'm sorry, but I haven't had. I don't feel they should break at this point. So I was determined to, you know, salvage them rather than buy another pair. But in the end, I just bought a ten quid pair, and they're fine. You see people wearing beats mm. bloody everywhere. You see yeah. bankers on the tube in London <laughs> wearing them. Did I say bankers? Yeah, he said bankers, yeah. I meant I meant yeah. something else. Yeah. I meant, <laughs> I meant workers in the city, that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> you honestly, you see people on the tube, you know, in their next suits wearing beats. Yeah, you do. Giving their Coldplay a bit of bass. Yeah. It's kind of like I always like the one when you see like really hard looking blokes and then the phone goes off and it's like the theme to My Little Pony or something. <laughs> I, I always love that. White horses. Yeah. <gasps> now, yeah. Back, get back to children's telly. Remember the, light, the lightning tree. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, that was freaky, but White Horses. Yeah, White Horses is an amazing song. I love that song. Oh, white yeah. horses! There, yeah. white horses. Yeah. But it was it was made in the Czech Republic, I think, and then yeah, I think it was right. like one series and then dubbed. And it's it, it's never been digitally remastered. I've never got that. No. Shame. They should bring it out on DVD. But no, no, beats just sound bloody awful, terrible mm. things. Yeah, you, you get better sound if you put your head in a biscuit tin. Well, it's it's that in kind of thing, though. It's that's the world we live in now. It's more style over content, you know. So they're they're buying into the, him as a brand. And um, and they're probably better than maybe a lot of stuff, but you know they're not the best headphones you can get. You can get cheaper without the branding on it. So yeah, that's just uh, it's it's the will I amification of the world. You know, if anyone represents style over content, it's that guy. So yeah, there I don't go. think I've ever listened to a single thing that he's ever made. Who William? No, uh, no, me neither. So. It's not it, my kind of tune. No, it was what the reason I mentioned him. I watched um, when I was in. We were in Barcelona last week. The only English channel on the TV was the Discovery Channel, and it had that West Coast Customs program. You know where they do amazing custom cars. And Will I Am uh, was the client, and he took a 1958 Corvette and basically ruined it. 
<laughs> he made it basically plastic. It was the most awful thing. Uh, but of course, he thought it was the uh, the nuts because he's got no taste. Yeah, because no taste, and it was just another. It was just another thing to own. It was like he wasn't really interested in it, and it must have cost a fortune. But anyway, there you go. I th- I thought when you said customs mm. that you meant like. Customs and excise. No, no, that would that would be an amazing program. <laughs> well, no, they have them though. They have them. UK border border <laughs> authority programs. They do. Yeah, you can't make that up. I like the yeah. Australian ones. The Australian ones are great. What do they call it? D- do not declare or something. Right. Do not declare. It's brilliant. It's brilliant because you get lots of people not pointing fun at people from Asia, but you know, actually pointing fun at people from Asia because. They turn up on a plane in Sydney or Melbourne or something, and they filled in their little card that says, "Are you bringing any food with you?" And they tick no. Yeah, and it's in like twenty-seven languages, so you know it's not like they should make a mistake. And then they arrive, and the, and the lady at customs goes, "Do you have any food with you?" And uh, do you have any food in your bag? And the guy goes, "No food in bag." Yeah. And then he's, she got no food in your bag, and they go, "No food in bag." At this point, the dog's going flipping crazy. You know, the dog's like jumping all over it, and uh, they open the bag, and it's like there's nothing in there but food. And they got no food in bag. There's like everything. But the, the thing that gets me, I mean, bird's nest, which I didn't realise that bird's nest was actually bird spit. Yeah. It's that's, actually from the caves, isn't it? It's uh, inside a cave. That's gross. Yeah. How can people mm. eat that? Mm, I know. But apart from that, but it was, they also bring in stuff that you can just buy in Australia. It's like there's a bo- <laughs> there's a Ve- veggie mice. Exactly. There's like a pack of fox's butter biscuits. <laughs> They're not in short supply. Yeah, but they taste different in foreign lands, don't they? You know, <laughs> Capri's fingers don't taste like Capri's fingers here. You know, that's actually very true. Yeah. Mars bars and marathon bars in America. No, they're not called marathons. Yeah. Are they Snickers bars? Snickers. Yeah, they're not called marathon here, Andy. They've <laughs> <laughs> been called that for years. No, that's when you were watching your house party. <laughs> I get very confused. <laughs> Oh dear! Can, can we do a bit of follow up from um, from a couple of shows back? Yeah, Just absolutely. Quickly get through this. Uh, Laura and I were talking last week about conference speakers' responsibilities, and uh, that got a bit lively. Mm. And Luke Murphy Weirmouth—that's a, a double-barreled mouthful. That is. Yes, I know Luke. Yeah, I like I like to to think of him as Luke Murphy Werewolf. Yes, or Luke Murphy Where's his mouth? Yeah. <laughs> Sure, yeah. that's not the first time that joke's been No, made. I'm sure not. Yeah. Anyway, so he wrote a blog post uh, on speaking at conferences and being paid, which I'll put some links in the show note. They are at unfinished.bz slash 69, because now I'm remembering that we do show notes and I have to remind people where they are. Anyway, Luke wrote some really good points, um, but he did write this really good section in there, which I think that people should read. Um not all speakers are created equal because it was basically talking about the deal that you make, you know, when you, when you agree to do a conference talk mm-hmm. and, you know, some people do get paid more than others, you know, yep. in life as well as in conferences. And I think the point that he was making, which I thought was worth making again was, you know, if you make a deal, you make a deal that's right for you, you should stick to it. Yeah. You know, and, and if other people do something different for better or worse, well, that's their business, not yours. Mm-hmm. And uh, as somebody that organizes events, cause I know Luke does that. I thought that was a good point to make, actually. Yeah, you can't, it's, you know, it's, um, you have to take responsibility for your own decisions. And, um, if you haven't got the, the nows to, you know, try and negotiate a better fee or, or, or even ask for a fee, then that, that's your, you know, that's, that's up to you. Um, so, but everyone's, everyone's different as Luke, mm. as Luke says, you know, so some people do get more, you know, because of the reputation or other experience and, you know, that's that's how it's always going to be, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And then he also wrote me an email separately, which I'm allowed to talk about because, you know, I don't just read out random emails that people send me. Dear Randy, we'd like a website. <laughs> how much for a website? Anyway, he said, uh, more than a note than anything, you were talking about Seb's boilerplate for responding to conference organisers, and there was a mention that he requires payment 14 days before an event. <sighs> I'm not sure if you or him realize how the cash flow generally works with conferences, but a lot of the time it's a very tight thing. I didn't know any of this. He said, most ticketing services don't release funds until after the conference happens. 
mostly because of refunds. And a lot of sponsors won't send across any money until the last minute due to invoicing deadlines, payment terms, etc. Mm -hmm. This often means that whatever money a conference organizer does have to play with needs to go towards things that can't wait until after the events happen, like catering, equipment, etc. Yeah. It's always a juggle between what can be delayed until money's come in and what can't. And I think this needs to be taken into consideration by speakers a little more or probably have it communicated a lot better. That's a good point. I didn't realize that. I've never asked for money up front from, from a speaker thing from a conference. Um, because, you know, a very good friend of mine, John Davey, who, you know, who runs re- reasons. So um, last week. Did you? It was really funny. We were down at the Net Awards. Yeah. And we bumped into him there. Sue and yeah. I were, were down. And then we went out to get some dinner. We had some dinner with Laura mm. and, uh, and Aral. And then as we were walking back, we weren't gonna, cause we didn't win. So we were grumpy. No, that's yeah. not really, not really the reason. <laughs> we just wanted a quiet evening on it. We come from Ireland yeah, into yeah. London feeling really shell shocked, you know, with all the noise and stuff. Didn't want to kind of, you know, be in a crowded room with yeah. pumping Dr. Dre bass. So anyway, we had some dinner, walking back, bumped into a few people that were outside of the pub opposite the awards. Went in there and there's John and his wife. Oh, right, yeah. And so that was nice. I've not met her before. Yeah, and she's lovely. It was really funny because uh, I, I explained, I said, you know, this is my wife. So I said, um, John, John took uh, our son out drinking in Germany once as the kind of, you know, the introduction. Mm. And his wife looked at me horrified, looked at Sue horrified and went, how old is he? <laughs> as if John had taken away his eight. Yeah. <laughs> so Sue actually said, he's 12. Yeah. And the look on her face was just a picture. It was amazing. Then she had to go, no, no, he's 22. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, yeah. So I know, you know, I've known John, John for years, so I know what goes into, you know, the com- conferences and, you know, what's involved and, and the stresses of it and both financial and mental and everything else and logistical. So yeah, I, I've, I've never asked for, um, maybe I should do, um, because, you know, sometimes getting paid can take like a month or something. Um, but yeah, I think it can be a bit, a little bit impractical. If you can pay up front, fantastic. Um, you have to make sure you turn up though. That's the only thing. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, but yeah, I, I think it's quite unusual that. I've never been paid up front. I mean, I've been paid on the day. Yeah. Um, and we've sometimes, I think, I suppose the difference is if you're having to travel like later on in the year, I'm going to Oslo mm-hmm. and yeah, I'm going to be, I have to remortgage the house to buy a, buy a Mars bar in, yeah, in yeah. Norway. Yeah. But you know, I want to either make sure that they've paid for the flight or we've been reimbursed for the flight before we arrive. You know, that, yeah. that's that, yeah. because you know, the last thing that people want to be doing is booking expensive flights or even train fares. Jesus, tra- trains are expensive. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you book it in advance to save a bit of money. And then all of a sudden, you know, you might find through no reason of your own that the event's cancelled. Yeah. And, you know, you can't go. So, and I know that's happened to a few people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that, that was that. Um, and then the other thing that Luke was talking about in his email, because we were talking about swearing mm-hmm. uh, last week. Yeah. Um, particularly swearing in conference talks, because I'd sat through a, a talk in, uh, you were actually there. Um, and it wasn't you that I was talking about. All right. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't you. Um, and, uh, and it was, uh, and, I, and I didn't find it particularly comfortable because, you know, there was a lot of swearing. Um, and we were talking about this last week. Right. Which is really quite funny, actually, because John Gruber and Mike Montero, I don't know whether you listen to the talk show. Um, occasionally, yeah. Yeah, no, it was good. It was the last one on Mule Radio because Gruber's taking it independent. Right, okay. As of next week. Anyway, they're talking about swearing and stuff. Um, anyway, Luke said in his email to me, he said, the other point was around speaker's responsibility to an audience and swearing and humour. It's an interesting point and I respect it, but I do worry that it's a little bit like lowering your personality to the lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. If people are offended or dislike your talk, then that's their prerogative. You can't please all the people all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because you're talking, uh, because we are talking about talking to a room full of adults. I sometimes feel that a little personality swearing in humor included is much better way than trying to be someone that you're not. Yeah. And I thought, I just want to talk about that for a minute. Cause you've been known to use the odd cuss word. Yeah. I think it's, and, and I can, I can actually switch it off like a switch, uh, as yeah, switch it off like a switch. That doesn't make sense. But, um, yeah, I can, I can not do it. And I think what I do, it's, 
depends on the audience and the the vibe I'm getting off the audience. Um, and and I, I don't really swear as much as I used to. I think I try and use it for comedic effects. Um, if I'm like, you know, trying to make a point or, or it's just for, I know it's going to be funny at that particular moment in time. And that's all fine. Um, what I don't like, and I've seen this happen. So, you know, I'll, I'll do a talk and, you know, uh, thankfully it might go well. And, um, and then this happens mostly at conferences that are sort of marketing led where there's like brand managers and stuff. And so the next person up will have all these talks sort of ready and scripted and he'll get up and follow me. And you can see that he's now he's suddenly thrown a few swear words in where he doesn't normally swear. And it's so obvious, you know, cause it just, you go, Oh, that's, that seems you're trying to be like cool now. And I'm not trying to be cool. That's kind of, how I occasionally, if I'm excited, might say something and it just comes out. It isn't like trying to be cool or anything or street, you know, hanging with Dr. Dre, you know, so, <laughs> um, so I think, and it is about your personality. I don't think you should, um, you know, lower your, when people ask you to speak, you're, you're it's you that's speaking, your, and your personalities should shine through. So if you're trying to, if you then get told, oh, make sure you curtail any swearing, um, it can, you know, denigrate the talk and it probably not as good as it can be. Mm. Um, and it's basically, you know, I think you have to just be honest with yourself. And if that's how you, you speak. And I mean, if you're like really, really bad swearing, then probably you might want to rein that in a bit. But, you know, it, it depends on the individual again, you know. If, I don't think there's any right or wrong for how to do a talk or, you know, so, so yeah, that's, that's my feelings on it. I, I, I do try and, uh, university ones I'd pretty much done. Um, can, that can be a little bit tricky. Um, but yeah, I can turn it off and on. So I think that doing it for comedic effect or dramatic mm. effect or once in a while, cause I mean, everybody's, you know, I've, I've seen people laugh along when you've said, mm. you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, and it's funny because you know your your timing's good, and you know yeah. it makes sense at that point. And I don't yeah. think that people would actually sit in the audience and go, "Oh my god, he said." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because it's we you know it's not the nineteen twenties. No, exactly. But I think that there is a you know. I don't know. It's, I suppose it goes for TV shows too. I mean, I used to find Deadwood pretty hard to stomach, mm. and occasionally, um, in fact, do you watch Game of Thrones? No, I, I don't watch Game of Thrones, no, but is there a lot of swearing in that? Well, actually, there hasn't been, but there's been right. one particular character in this last series who's a very bad man, very yeah. bad man, that says, you know, very bad things. And I just think, oh, I wonder whether that's actually necessary. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think the thing that intrigued me about what Luke was saying about not being yourself mm -hmm. and sort of lowering your personality down yeah. to the the last thing that i would want is for anybody to think that they had to um you know temper their talk because of political correctness because that's not what i'm <laughs> talking about yeah. i am you know, you bastard yeah. i am really <laughs> not talking about <laughs> political correctness yeah because you know, that's not what I'm about, you know, and I, and I know that there are things that, you know, maybe today that, you know, we, sh we you know, we shouldn't do or shouldn't show or, you know, mm. whatever, you know, and if we were, you know, if, if, if we were sitting in front of a room of people from Silicon Valley, I bet they would have a different opinion to, you know, what yeah. two blokes from the North of England have to, to yeah. talk about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think that you should, you should temper your personality. I just think that, you know, it's about being appropriate. It's about being appropriate to the situation and the audience and the, the, the vibe of the conference. Um, I think that's the main thing. And you have to make a judgment call on, because I, I also, you know, see talks where they're not, they're not picking up on the audience's reaction. So, you know, it, there might be like a demo that's going badly or a demo where people are starting to fidget or something. And you go, kill it, you know, move on. But mm. they, they, they don't, they don't pick up on it. Cause they so, persevere. With yeah. It. They're so engrossed with showing this cool thing 
that they don't notice that half the people are fidgeting or coughing or whatever. So let me try and get the internet connection working for the fifth time. <laughs> yes, exactly. <No>. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> no, I'd rather not. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, let me just install Node.js on this Ruby. Blah blah blah. You know, it only take ten minutes. So, you know. Yeah, no, you don't ever want to do that. Oh, no, those are the worst things. Mm-hmm. The worst things. Yeah. So, oh, dear. Well, that's all I've got to say about that, really. I mean, I'm not going to kind of, you know, flog a mm. dead <laughs> horse. I just, <laughs> I just, I just think that it's about appropriateness. And I didn't want people to think that I was all of a sudden becoming some kind of, you know, yeah, bishop. Because, mm. you know, I'm not a bishop. No. no. More of a rector. Mm. I'd say so. Yeah. Let's do a sponsor. Okay. Rudely interrupt us. So our first sponsor this week is Shopify. They never rudely interrupt anybody. They're great. Now, I don't know about you. You might remember this, Brent. We designed, years and years and years ago, we designed a, an e-commerce store for Disney in the UK. Disney oh, right. site. It was actually, it was 2005, 2006, and it was the first large-scale e-commerce site, I think, anyway, people said, that used CSS for layout. And it got, it got talked about quite widely. Mm-hmm. Zeldman even, he included it in the second edition of Designing with Web Standards, which was very, very pleasing. That's about the only place that it actually exists. Now, if you can find a copy of this, <laughs> yeah, not the first and not the third or the fourth edition of Designing with Web but if you've got that second one, which I'm just having a look here, I think it's the blue one. Nobody actually cares. I do actually have it. <laughs> so well, anyway, after that and after a bunch of other things, I just vowed that I wasn't ever going to do any e-commerce work again. Yeah. Because, you know, to be honest, I just didn't enjoy it. And, yeah. you know, there's only so much I think that or I thought that you can do with e-commerce at the time. So I just decided I didn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I really stuck with that until I started to use Shopify. Mm-hmm. And Shopify is the e-commerce platform that many people that I know and I respect, they use it. So people like the guys behind Eight Faces, Book Apart. Uh, Hardgraft, they make uh, my favorite little cases and sleeves for Macs and phones and stuff. Yeah. United Pixel Workers, they use it. Even Five Simple Steps use it. And you know, if you look at all of their sites, you'd never know that they're all built on Shopify platform. No. No, they look beautiful. And I've used it um, for a previous business, and it was completely amazing. I, could, I, I just fell in love with it. No, really, really good. And, you know, if all those people and you put your trust in Shopify, then, you know, I think everybody should. Mm. So it's more than just an e-commerce platform, though. They've got a partner program that helps you make more from your business when you're making e-commerce websites. And that that's your gateway to building sh- sites for clients with Shopify. When you join the free partner program, you get access to all of their learning resources, documentation, video tutorials, even run some workshops. And you can learn while making any number of fully featured and non-time-limited development stores that they're available via your your partner dashboard. Mm -hmm. And you can also create a custom Shopify theme for a client, or you can build your own theme from scratch, and then you can sell it in the Shopify theme store. Plus, in the partner program, you'll get 20% revenue share for every store that you bring to Shopify. So Shopify is the e-commerce platform that I'm using now. I'm starting to recommend it to all my clients and yeah, you should try it. Join their free partner program to join, go to unfinished.bz slash Shopify to let them know that you heard about them here on unfinished business. Was that professional enough? It was very professional. Did very, I sound like it, a, it's very good. Very, very good. A radio announcer. Yeah. Sounds like a radio announcer. You know, they used to do this in the fifties, didn't they? When they I don't have... know. Not that old. <laughs> no, I watched American graffiti. Um, but they used, you know, they would do these, uh, adverts as, you know, the announcer would do them. So it's kind of like that. It's bringing back the old school. So quite yeah. like it. No, I, I quite yeah. like it actually. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you just come back from Barcelona. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, I was there for, an exhibition. Um, there's an exhibition called Big Bang Data um, at the Centre for Contemporary Culture in Barcelona, which is a huge, beautiful building. Um, it used to be a uh, a place where poor people would go and be looked after, and then they've built onto it. Uh, so it's modern and old. Um, 
So it's worth just seeing the building. Um, anyway, it's an exhibition all about data, and they asked me uh, to put, uh, if I'd like, Cinema Redux in there. So we've done three pieces, um, and they kindly flew myself and my wife, Lisa, over uh, for three nights and went to the opening. Um, and it was great. The exhibition itself is is pretty fantastic. It's it's huge. Um, it's people like Jonathan Harris and Aaron, Aaron Coblin and uh, Timo Arnell uh, and done amazing, beautiful work. And it's what's interesting is it's a wonderful journey from the very beginnings of data and data visualization, I should say. Uh, so they've got everything, you know, Florence Nightingale polar diagrams that she invented um and they've got what was interesting one of the great great bits is um how we used to store data so they have punch cards and they're in the, and each one of these is in like a, a giant uh transparent sphere so they've got punch cards and then the next one along is i think it might be floppy disk and then it and obviously as as these things are getting smaller the capacity is getting bigger so there's like a giant circle on the floor because these things hover above them and the circle represents the amount of data that is this these things can hold and it kind of it's just ridiculous and of course we're not talking a long a long time but um so that was it was beautiful to see that kind of visualization of of how data and storage of data has got so small and so cheap. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. So, and yeah, it was, it was just a lovely event to be, um, involved with. I'm just having a look at the website now. I'll put a link in the show notes. There's, uh, installation here, Eric Kessel's 24 hours in photos. That's amazing. That thing It's um, supposedly a million photos. I think he did it in Amsterdam apparently as well. Um, and it, yeah, you, as, as you can see in the photos, it's giant, just pi- two massive piles of photos that you walk through this valley. And I think it's all from Flickr. And it's, yeah, 24 hours of photos. And it makes you realise just how many photographs are being... Because it's like this unde- unimaginable, intangible thing. You know, what is a million photos? Well, when you walk in a room that is filled with a million photos, you go, wow, this is pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, Wow. Yeah. So do you not get fed up of talking about Cinema Redux? No. It's I, been I, 10 I, years now. It's 2004 you did the first one. Yeah, it's, it's 10 years. Um, no, I don't really talk about it that much, to be honest. Um, you know, it's one of those projects that um, I did and you put it out there and you never know what the reaction's going to be. And, you know, it was just kind of, yeah, I moved on to the next thing and then people just picked up on it and, um, but it kind of comes in, you know, this, it was in 2004, but it wasn't till 2008 that it was in, in an exhibition at, at MoMA in New York. So, um, that was four years, you know, so, and then it, four years later, I then had a, a full big exhibition of just that work at the Richard Goodall Gallery in Manchester. Oh, that's one of my favorite uh, places, but yeah, for people beautiful. that there's, there's a, there's about, there's thousands of people scratching their heads right now going, what the hell are they talking about? Okay, yeah. So so what is Cinema Redux? So Cinema Redux was just a, a technique, I guess, I, I came up with, um, where I wrote a piece of software um, using the processing uh, system language, uh, processing.org. It's free. You can download it. Um, Java-based. Been going many, many years. Um, so I wrote this thing that, originally took in DVD, but now it takes in digital movie files and it it creates um, sort of a visual fingerprint of that movie. So it takes a snapshot every second of the frame and then it it builds up uh, rows of frames. So each row represents one minute of film time. So there's 60 columns, 60 frames in a row. And it does that for the entire film. So what you get is this mass of images that represents the film and you can see the the rhythm of the editing process you can pick out your favorite scenes you can see the colors um and it was it's kind of a a a way to physicalize um digital movies so you hang this thing on your wall so when it was at moma it was 18 feet high uh which was pretty insane which film Um, was that that was vertigo hitchcock's vertigo 
uh, yeah. So yeah, the, lo- the longer the film, obviously, the taller the piece. Yeah, the taller the piece. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Gone with the Wind is that the is that the longest? Yeah, I think that's the longest one I've ever done. I've never really released it or anything, but uh, Apocalypse Now is a huge. Um, but I think Gone with the Wind is is actually bigger. But Apocalypse Now is pretty up there. That's actually um, my favourite film of all time. What Gone with the Wind? Yeah, is it? I love Gone with the Wind. Yeah. yeah. I thought I thought it would have been Planet of the Apes or something. No, no, it's um, Planet of the Apes is in the top five. Mm-hmm. But actually, the films are digressing massively, and people will just be like putting their head in their hands by now and groaning. Oh my, he's off again! But it's <laughs> it's not actually the films that I like about Planet of the Apes, which is weird because it's it's more about what it's more about the idea behind them, yeah, than okay. it is about the actual implementation of the film. And obviously, the mm-hmm. Heston movie is a classic, yeah. Um, it's flawed, but mm. it's it's a classic. The rest of them are kind of you know take it or leave it until yeah. he gets the, the 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 recent ones. Yeah, the 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 recent ones I thought were great. Well, Rise was fantastic. If mm. if you've seen the trailer for Dawn, which is the one that's coming out in July, yeah, I've seen. Uh, did it show that much on the trailer? Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, there's there's a like right. good couple of minutes now. Okay, I've... and there's apes on horseback. Right, I haven't seen that latest trailer. The one I saw was basically, is it Caesar? Yeah, you just see Caesar's face. His eyes, yeah. Yeah, no, this, the, the new one's great. So how many of these Cinema Redux prints are there to collect, if you uh, want to say? Tw- 27. Wow. So you can get them in, you know, the versions that you've got, um, which are a bit more affordable. And then there's there's the really large format ones, which are... A beautiful diasec mounted, um, which is what I usually use for exhibition. So diasec is this crazy process where the uh, the glass is actually bonded to the to the print, and then it's aluminium backs. So it, it, you think how how is the glass actually stuck to it? It's pretty amazing, and they're like they're they're quite a lot of money, but yeah. You saying I'm a cheapskate? No, no, I think the problem with the big ones is, because they're 40 inches wide, the big ones, and it's you have to have a wall big enough to, to you know, put them on. Where the, the smaller ones, which still look great, you can have a few on your wall, you know? So, and yeah, they are, yeah, they're more affordable, and I think they're, they're the ones that we sell more of. But We've actually got two in our living room. Mm-hmm. Which ones did you get? Uh, we've got Pulp Fiction and mm-hmm. The Big Lebowski. Yeah. And I really wanted films that mean something. And mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction is one of my favorite films. Mm-hmm. But actually, I really didn't like The Big Lebowski. But I was overruled because we had a whole load of them out sort of standing up in the gallery, choosing which ones we were going to get. Yeah. And we went for The Big Lebowski because yeah, the, the colors kind of complemented the Pulp Fiction thing. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so we got that. But yeah, we got a couple in the living room. And they, they look great. Oh, you, yes. You, you've gone all mainstream. You have now, because <laughs> you used to be edgy. And <laughs> I've got, I've gone mainstream. How do you yeah. mean? Yeah, because well, you, you're just interior decorating now, mate. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's it. I'm Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen. That's I've, it. I've, I've, that's it. Yeah, I, I'm happy with that. I don't wear as many flouncy shirts, but um, yeah, I probably did used to be more edgy. <laughs> you know, I was doing doing flash and things. Maybe I don't know. But no, they do look great, and they actually look. From a distance, they almost look like tapestries. They look as though they're, yeah. they're, there's a textile element to them. People come in and they don't they don't actually notice them. Mm. Um, and it's only when you kind of point them out that they go, mm. "Really?" And they get a little magnifier out and they yeah. start poking around, which is quite which is very cool. Yeah, yeah. I think there's that that nice. There's two stages to it. Like you say, the you don't realise what it is from a distance. It's one thing from a distance. It's another thing. Uh, close up, which is, I kind of like that idea. So I really want Planet of the Apes, but you haven't made it yet. Yeah, no, I, I need to maybe do a special edition for you. I've just done two special editions for um, a new hotel that's being built in New York, so they're going to be uh, installed in this new hotel, so um, I'll have to do you a special edition of that one, just oh, for that you. That sounds great. Well, I mean, I know that Shane Ritchie would probably <laughs> bite your hand off as well because he's oh. a bit of an ape's nut. Oh, is he? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, I didn't realise that. He's a bigger Planet of the Apes oh. nut than I have. He, oh, oh. I've talked about this before, so people are going to be yawning in the background. But 
he owns the cart that the gorillas put Charlton Heston in from the first movie from 1968. <laughs> and he was completely pissed one night on eBay and, um, and bought it and then had to have it shipped over. <laughs> and uh, it's in his barn down in Rygate somewhere. Right, okay. Covered in squirrel <laughs> shit, he says. It's a strange thing to buy off eBay. I know, it really is. Yeah. So do you have to get permission from the studios to make each piece? Yeah, I kind of, um, you know, that's part of the, you know, why there isn't a million of them. Um, you know, there's to do these deals um, via people I know at the studios or, or whatever. So it takes a long time. Yeah. Does that influence what you can make and what you can't make, presumably? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you get? Do you have a deal with the studio, or do you have a deal movie per movie? It's per movie. It's like a licensing thing. Oh God! Like uh, making yeah. action figures. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of them have these licensing departments. You know, obviously set up. So, um, yeah. So how much? How far do you have to go before it's fair usage? I suppose. So I'm thinking about Warhol. Yeah, well, it's it's an interesting thing, you know. Warhol, I think he said it's you know, his, his self portrait just sold the other day for thirty million, which is nice. But um, yeah, there's this thing about appropriation, um, you know, making uh, new things out of things that already existed. And if you look at all the, you know, the the Campbell soup tin or or Monroe, um, though I think with the Monroe image, I think he had to settle out of court with someone. Um, with the the original image that that was took from, the screen print was made from. Um, but I could be wrong about that. And but yeah, so go on. No, I'm just thinking about Andy Bayo, who did that 8-bit Miles Davis mm-hmm. cover, yeah. and the photographer who shot the original sued the ass off him. Right. Um, even though it was... Um, you know, could have been put down to fair use. You know, he turned yeah. this kind of iconic photo into, what, you know, eight pixels or something. Yeah. Mm. Um, but no, that's interesting because yeah. it must yeah. take ages. You know, I wouldn't know where to start on something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have some friends in in that. In Do you have some friends in Hollywood, mate? No, I don't have friends in Hollywood, but I have <laughs> in the hills. Who've worked in that industry? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, in in uh, Norwich. Do you know Doctor Dre? <laughs> In Norwich. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I went to Norwich once. It was closed. Yeah. No. Nice pedestrianisation, though. Yeah. They've worked hard at that. (laughs) They have. So you trademarked Cinema Redux, I noticed. I have, yeah. The name. Yeah. As I was going to say, is that so that people can't copy the name or is it so that they can't copy the idea? Because why aren't no. we seeing, why, why don't we see this in, um, oh God, what did that poster shop used to be called? The, Athena. The, Athena. Yeah. With the bird scratching her ass. Yeah, yeah. What, why don't we, is, is, does that still exist, Athena? No. I don't think it does now, no. Um, yeah, I've trademarked the name, but it, you can't really trademark the idea. You'd have to patent the idea and I don't think it's patented a bull. Um, and I'm not really, you know what? I'm not really into that kind of stuff. Um, I think, you know, as you know yourself, you don't want to hold, I think it's kind of sad to hold on to one idea mm. because someone will do it anyway because they'll always find, you know, a way around it. Patents are only good if you've got money to defend it. They, they don't protect anything unless, unless you've got money. Um, so they're kind of pointless. A lot of the time. Well, I suppose if somebody's just going to plainly rip off Cinema yeah. Redux and just do the same thing and, you know, and sell it in yeah. Athena, uh, then, you know, that's one thing. But, yeah. of course, you know, you're building a piece of work, you're building a piece of art based on something that's gone before, mm. and it's only right that someone should, if they're actually doing that, yeah. then do the same thing, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, uh, you know, I like the whole open source movement stuff, and, you know, that's how... Yeah, that's how we've built um, our careers, you know, view source. Mm. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be sitting here now if I, I couldn't have viewed the source on the, that first web page. So no, me neither. I think it's important to, you know, some of the things I protect. Um, but, you know, I do I do put a lot of the code out there and stuff. So I think it's important to oh God, we'll start talking about children now won't we but you know giving back and <laughs> believe that children are the future blah 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 you know 
So something like that. Did you do any westerns? Uh, no, because I, I like westerns, you know, mm. as you know. But um, I don't think I've done any westerns now. Because look at it, we were look, when we were looking in the gallery. Because mm. Sue loves westerns, she goes nuts for westerns. Right. Every Christmas and every birthday has to have something that's cowboy and Indian related. <laughs> Which is fine when, you know, when there's a bunch of, you know, Western box sets, you know. But she's actually got every John Wayne Western box set that ever got made. Yeah. Um, And you go go through the Clint Eastwood ones and then you start getting into some really dodgy territory. Yeah, yeah. What's her favourite Western? Uh, The Searchers. Oh, that's a great film. Yeah. In fact, I bought a really fabulous poster of The Searchers from the Goodall Gallery in Manchester for a birthday last week. Yeah. And it's from the Alamo Draft House. They did a, mm-hmm. like a Texas series a couple of years ago. Right. And this particular poster from the searches was in the Goodall Gallery. So I had it framed. Mm-hmm. It looks fantastic. Yeah. Very nice. But, but I remember, in fact, the first time I think I met you was when you were doing a talk and you showed this clip from Shane. Yes. Is yeah. that still the greatest ever Western? I think it's up there because I think it's so gritty. And, you know, it's it's very unglamorous, that film, uh, in a time that was being made. You know, westerns were quite glamorous, and but that one is quite dirty and gritty in a kind of unforgiven kind of way. Um, yeah, and, and that scene with the, gun, the gunslinger and the paws and everything, it's, it's kind of very, very powerful from a cinema point of view. Because I'm interested in the grammar of cinema, you know, like, to me, it's design. Um and the art direction that goes on in that film, you know, all the cues that you get, the the baddie is in black and he's he looks really well dressed, and you know whether the guy he murders is a cow cowboy, you know, in the in literal sense, and so you get getting all these cues and that that's design, but you wouldn't think about it. You go into that film to try and get some inspiration for a piece of design, or you know, but I think subconsciously. Um, it's all going in there, and you're learning from these things all the time. So uh, that's and, and it's just an amazing film. Um, yeah, it, you know. it is a good film. Yeah, I still think that Once Upon a Time in the West is the best Western ever. Mm, that's you know Henry Fonda is so evil in that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and the cool thing was, yeah, because Sergio Leone cast him to be the evil villain. Mm. And because he hadn't played evil villains in other films, it was like that yeah. total kind of contrast. Mm-hmm. But there's that scene at the beginning where nobody speaks for about 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And then the train pulls in. Well, I'm going to spoil it for anybody. You should just go, watch, go ahead and watch it. But, you know, the train pulls in. There's a gunfight. Everybody dies except, I think, Charles Bronson. Yeah. And you don't really see him for the rest of the film. It's like complete, <laughs> complete <Yeah>. digression. <laughs> but it's like, what did I just watch? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you watch a guy trying to trap a fly with the barrel of his pistol for about five minutes yeah oh it's brilliant it's crazy it's uh yeah it's pretty i i think though when you play with you know there's the expectations of um it's like there will be blood i don't know if you've seen that no but he doesn't speak in that and i think it's 20 minutes and there comes a point where you go okay getting a bit uncomfortable now because and you check the sound, you check the volume, you know, and it's, there's a film called, um, Cachet, uh, Hidden. Um, and the beginning of that film, you, you actually check whether the DVD's working. Cause all it is, is a locked off camera just, uh, showing a street and there's no movement at all. There's like nothing happening. No, no traffic, nothing. And you're watching, and it's, it must be, it seems like 10 minutes, but maybe it's only five minutes, but five minutes of nothing happening is very uncomfortable. So what happens eventually is it, the, suddenly the picture rewinds visually and you realize you're watching someone watching a videotape. And it's, but it's, there's a point where you're watching it and you're going, is this, is this broke? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty amazing device, you know, to use. We watched a film with Robert Redford. It's quite new, actually. All is Lost, it's called. I've and not it's, seen that. it's fairly new. And basically, it's uh, Robert Redford gets shipwrecked. 
And, you know, he's in a boat. All you ever see is Robert Redford in a boat and his yacht runs into a shipping container. And mm-hmm. basically, you know, he's becoming shipwrecked. And apart from the fact that he, you know, he, the boat runs into a shipping container in the middle of the Pacific somewhere and he shouts. Yeah. Or something. I don't think he does that actually. Cause Robert Redford wouldn't say that. He'd, he'd say something a lot more classy than that. Yeah. But apart from that, he doesn't speak for the entire film because <laughs> he doesn't have anybody to speak to. And he plays it really well, to be frank, because, yeah. you know, it wasn't hard to learn the script, I don't think. But <laughs> you do get 40 minutes in and you don't care whether he lives or dies to be honest. I don't think we finished watching it. Yeah. Uh, so interesting, it's, though, yeah, to try and do that. There's a fine line between mm. it just becoming, oh, let's just get on yeah. with it. You know, yeah, enough with yeah. the fly. Yeah, just shoot yeah. the flipping thing. <laughs> You'll be done with it. Stop it buzzing yeah. about. <laughs> did you think, what did you think of True Grit, the Coen Brothers True Grit? I, I liked it. I think, um, cause I rewatched the, the original about two weeks before I saw, um, the Coen Brothers one. I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan. And, um, I thought, um, the main character was, was good. Um, uh, who was it who played it? Jeff um, Bridges. Jeff, Jeff Bridges, uh, was fantastic. Um, I, I thought the original though, when you rewatch it, you realize it's, it's still a very brutal film. And I, I wasn't, I'm not the biggest John Wayne fan in the world, but I think that was probably one of his best roles. Um, but I, yeah, I didn't think it compared to the original. Um, there was a kind of innocence to the original, uh, and the brutality. Um, but I still, you know, yeah, it was okay. It was a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that there was a, you know, there wasn't a speck out of place. No, no, no. Uh, it's an unusual thing to do for them because they, Lady Killers was such a disaster. Um, and then to do another remake. Um, but yeah, so, you know, but I, I still love them. You know, Fargo's my favorite movie of all time, probably. So. I need to start watching the TV series, which apparently is really good. Oh yeah, I'm I'm so into it. It's brilliant. It's it's interesting because it's I when that when I saw the trailer, I was like, what, what is this? I don't understand. This isn't this isn't the film, and it's different characters. But it's interesting. The episode four that's just been on. It's now the film has now segued into this story. So it's really it's just and there, there's certain little knowing glances to the film um not just the accents but lou lou was the husband of the copper in the original one uh and he always went on about going night fishing or ice fishing with his night crawlers and the father of the policewoman in the tv series his name is lou and he mentioned going ice fishing with his night crawlers. Because I actually so, haven't yeah. seen the original. I haven't right, seen the okay. film, which I thought we might try and do this weekend yeah, before you, we start watching the, the telly. Yeah, watch the film first and then. Is it a kind of a reimagining? Is it like a kind of a, a Battlestar Galactica style? It, it's, no, it's not so much a reimagining. It's just more stuff that happens in that area. Because apparently Fargo, even though it says it's a true story, uh, if you go on Wikipedia, if you're a geek, um, it says that it wasn't really a true story. There was lots of things that happened that they sort of mashed together. Uh, there was lots of incidents like that. Um, you know, so, and apparently people got very upset with the accents. Um, people who lived in that area, North Dakota and Minnesota, um, it, the accents were quite exaggerated. Um, but yeah, watch it. It's, it's just a fantastic movie. I think you'd love it. I rewatched Django Unchained last night. I've only seen it once, I think. Yeah. You still like it? No, I do still like it. In fact, mm. I like it more the second or third time that I've watched it. Because mm-hmm. I was actually, I was really busy yesterday. I don't know what I was busy doing, but you know, you have those days where you just seem to be really busy. Mm. And then mm. you get to the end and you think, I actually don't really know what I've done, but I seem to have been really busy all day. <laughs> and it was like, I don't know, it was nine o'clock at night. And if I go to bed at nine o'clock having done that, then my mind's still churning. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to sleep very well. So I just decided that I would put something on. And it was a, it was a toss up between Dark Knight Rises mm-hmm. and Django Unchained and Django One. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, I did really, I really did like it. And 
Sue has the original Django Spaghetti Western on DVD. We bought the <laughs> Spaghetti Western. Um, <laughs> but, but it's pulp. It's like most of it's dubbed. Yeah. It's yeah. really hard to watch. All right. <laughs> um, but no, I do, I do like Django and I, and I, and I quite, I'm quite interested in kind of retakes on Westerns. Yeah. You know, that, the, I think that the true grit was very authentic. Hmm. Whereas Django was obviously very stylized. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. But stylized in a way, I mean, obviously it has all of those nods to things like Once Upon a Time in the West mm. and those other things. Um, yeah. But he does it in such a way where he just can't help himself. He, yeah. he just goes way beyond everything else. Yeah, yeah, just Tarantino's it up to 11, <laughs> you know, I think. Yeah. I was once at um, a South by Southwest and it was the, we went into one of the uh, movie panels and Tarantino was supposed to be on the panel because, and he was definitely in Austin because people had seen him on the street and, um, he just didn't turn up. <laughs> he just thought, can't be bothered. And he sent, um, Robert Rodriguez instead, which is a good standing. But yeah. Yeah. But he was like, you know, when you get to, I think a certain level of celebrity, you just do what you want. It's like, um, is it in Get Shorty where, the rule of being a celebrity in a restaurant is you don't, you never order off the menu. You just, particularly in Hollywood, you just make up a dish. And, <laughs> and they, yeah, which I can so believe. But you can't do that in Manchester, can you? You imagine <laughs> doing it in Piccolino's. <laughs> they just look, look at you and, you know, throw you out. You know, but you, you actually see, you know, could I have, uh, you know, a, a green salad with a blah, blah, blah? You know, it's like, yeah. No, I don't think so. Robert Rodriguez is a great director, actually. Oh, I mean, yeah. Sin City is one of my favourites. I'm really looking forward to the new one. Yeah, that should be great. Sin City is 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 pretty phenomenal. I think. Have you read his book about how he made mariachi? No. It's it's just the most fantastic book about creativity and against all the odds and how he decided he was going to make this film on his own. Um, and it's it's a lot of in there about constraints and so to get the original funding i think he needed eight thousand dollars so he, he put himself through medical experiments Jeez. <laughs> so he actually went to a place where you know you get experimented on and he did that and earned money that way cost him a the, kidney yeah something like that and um but one of the great things was um he he had to edit it in a university and he could only use the equipment at night and it was all videotape, you know. And so he would go into the university and the security guard would be there and uh, he'd be editing all night. Well, the security guard would turn the alarms on. And so Robert Rodriguez couldn't go to the toilet for like <laughs> all night because it set the alarms off. And this is what he had to do to, um, you know, to make this movie that eventually, you know, got him into Hollywood. But it's um it's an it's called Rebel Without a Crew. It's just awesome film. It's just um, book. It's just brilliant book. So he he made Once Upon a Time in Mexico as well, didn't he? Yeah, that was uh one of the sequels. There was Desperado. Yeah, I think I've that was the se- sequel to Mariachi. So Mariachi is the one he made with eight thousand mm. dollars. Then it's Desperado, and I think then it's Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Which is yeah. batshit crazy, because Johnny Depp yeah. gets his eyes pulled out or something. Mm, yeah. Okay. It's a while since I've seen it. But... And it's it's totally, totally tonto. Yeah. Well, Mariachi uh, is is like that, but not as slick, because obviously there's no visual effects. and But um, he still pulls off some pretty amazing stunts, basically using Mexicans that just happen to be in the village. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's bonkers. And they made this where? Was yeah, it Salford? No, it was uh, just across the border in Mexico somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. a place that I'd like to visit. Mexico. It looks a little, looks a little hairy. <laughs> yeah, I imagine Mexico in a kind of a Jeremy Clarkson style. I'd like Mexico to kind of be like that, um, yeah. but apparently it's not. Apparently it's all about guns and drugs, and and yeah. you don't want to go there. I think it'd be pretty scary. Yeah, we don't have any listeners in Mexico, so I think we're on safe ground. We're not going to get, we're not, I'm not going to say anything that's going to get the Mexican ambassador on the phone. No, no, or a Mexican drug cartel. 
that would be the worst. worst. Yeah, that would be yeah. the worst. Well, the, 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 you know, I don't think I've told you this story, but when we moved into this sleepy little village, mm-hmm. people used to think that we were drug dealers because <laughs> you know there's only fifty houses in Guanesca, and yeah. we moved in to this house. I didn't seem to go to work. New car outside. No visible means of support. We must be drug dealers. Mm-hmm. And then about I don't know two or three months after we'd moved here. Sue struck up a friendship with another lady in the village and they started doing some baking and yeah, they, they, a lot of baking, you know, not just, you know, a few cupcakes here and there. They started to get order quite a lot of organic ingredients, including organically freshly milled flour. And then one evening, <laughs> one kind of balmy evening, just as it was getting dark, this transit van arrived and the guy started, we, and there was a lot because they were buying, you know, quite a lot of flour. Mm-hmm. started handing us these bags of white powder and they were handing them to me who handed them to Alex, who handed them to Sue, putting them in the house. And there's people in the pub looking out like you can see the curtains twitching. It's like, oh, what are they doing? Oh my God. But we were crap drug dealers because nobody yeah. ever knocked on the door. They didn't come in. Like that. <laughs> we were rubbish. We were obviously for the export market. Nobody, the domestic market was dead. We tried everything. We tried email. We tried sending out samples outside Sainsbury's. It just, it wasn't going to Shopify. Should have done that. Yeah. We were rubbish drug dealers. We were. Do you know what? We should wrap it up. I was going to, I was going to ask you to talk about product design and Mm. digital design and all kinds of other stuff. Mm. But maybe we could leave that for another show. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to come back and talk about all that stuff. We should do that, because I like to yeah. keep it to an hour rather than a fortnight. Yeah. And yes. we, we could just talk forever. We, we could go on forever, and um, I've got to eat at some point tonight. <laughs> yeah. So people can follow you, Brendan, on Twitter. You are... Just Brendan Dawes. Brendan Dawes. Yeah. Or me, at Malarkey. To ask questions or suggest topics, you can, yes, you can message the show on Twitter at unfinishedbz, or you can email me, he has at unfinished.bz. Thanks again to our sponsors this week. They were Shopify and Logical Elements. Please support the show by supporting them. One, two, three. That was about a fortnight apart. Yeah, it wasn't. I think we were bang on, weren't we? <laughs> Everybody says this. Okay. Um, we'll try one more. One, two, three. Is that better? I have no idea. There, there must be a Skype lag, because that was like... I could have got on a bus and oh, really? given you the clap. So you I got given you the clap, but that's not what I meant. Right, no. Heaven <laughs> No. What did you do this afternoon, Andy? Well, I gave Brendan Dawes the clap. That's... <laughs> It's not at all what I meant. No, no, of course, no. Please, God, don't bear thinking about...